crossroads of empires, battleground of the ages, city of peace and of war. This is Jerusalem, where archaeology uncovers the empires of yesterday, where prophecy decodes the headlines of today. This is where history and prophecy come alive. This is Watch Jerusalem. Hello and welcome to Watch Jerusalem. I'm coming to you today from Jerusalem, Israel, as per usual, bringing you up to speed on the latest from biblical archaeology and also biblically significant or prophetically significant news from the Middle East as well. We're going to stick with archaeology today. It just seems there's so much to cover, especially over the last two weeks. Last week, I talked about the DNA study of the Philistines that looks to, sh- to show that the Philistines weren't local Canaanites, they were imports from elsewhere around the Mediterranean, uh, specifically Southern Europe. And as that study even brings out, specifically Crete, the best possible match they have to the ancient Philistines came from Crete, which is exactly what the Bible says regarding their place of departure before they got to the land of Israel. You can go ahead and listen to that if you like. It's um, got a a few hundred views there on SoundCloud and and elsewhere, and so people are listening to it and reading the article also. We also published an article this week about the archaeological proof for Hilkiah the high priest. If you haven't read that, please go and read that. I think you'll be surprised. There's three ancient seal impressions that have been found going back to the 80s and even into more recent times. These are not artifacts that came up on the black market or the antiquities market. market. They came, they were excavated out of the ground, and each of them have a connection to, to Hilkiah the high priest. And he was a significant individual. During the time of Jeremiah the prophet, and we have proof for his existence, and this article was picked up somewhere in the United States. We got a lot of hits uh, from the United States uh, over this over this article, but it is, it's quite short, but it goes into some nice details of Hilkiah. The one major biblically significant discovery was made uh, over the past few years, but reported on for the first time on Monday, and that is regarding the discovery of biblical Ziklag. Ziklag, funny name for a city. But if you're familiar with the story of David, the history of David, you'll recognize this name, a place where David lived for a little bit of time when he was on the one run from Saul. Saul, And when he was actually in a uh, an alliance uh, for a time, with the Philistines, King Achish of the Philistines, which, interestingly enough, that's not a Canaanite name, that's a Greek name. Uh, he actually was friends with David and gave David Ziklag to live in for a time. And so we have had this excavation that's gone on uh, for the past few years and discovering some amazing things, as we'll get to. And the, the archaeologists came out and said that they have found biblical Ziklag. Now, the backlash... Uh, from the archaeologists saying that they found this ancient city uh, was quite stunning. And it came from all over the map. It came from pro-Bible archaeologists. It came from anti-Bible archaeologists. And when I say that, I mean people that believe that the Bible is accurate, or for the most part accurate in the history that it's it uh, records. And those that believe in um, that the Bible isn't accurate in the history that it records and is purely a propaganda uh, a piece of propaganda that was written by ancient Jews or later ancient Jews uh, to give legitimacy to their claim uh, as representing God or their claim to southern Judah or their claim of dominance over the northern tribes of Israel. It's interesting. Interesting. I was talking to Dr. Elot Mazar uh, a couple of weeks ago, and, and I, I was just bringing up the, the ongoing saga 
um, of uh, biblical minimalism and, and maximalism, if, if you can call them that, and those that believe, again, the Bible being accurate in its history and those that don't. And one of the, one of the names that's synonymous with the minimalist camp uh, is Israel Finkelstein uh, of Tel Aviv University. And um, she, she has known him for such a long time, and they ac- actually get along quite well together uh, when they're not discussing, I would say, <laughs> uh, the time periods of David and Solomon and such. But it's interesting because she said that he is one of the biggest biblical archaeologists there is. He's, spending, he's got his nose in the Bible like nobody else, but he's got a totally different approach to his study of the Bible uh, obviously, he he believes, and even commenting on Kirbet al Rai, he's one of the people that doesn't believe uh, Kirbet al Rai or where this excavation took place is biblical ziklag. Um, but some of his reasonings uh, is basically because he believes the Bible was written later, and we don't have a settlements during the later period in which the Bible was said to be written there. So how did they know about ziklag? And so he throws it out because of that idea. Of course, I'm simplifying it a bit. Um, but but anyhow, there are some people that disagree with this definition of or this designation of this city being Ziklag. It fits the bill in many many ways. I would say there is one uh, um, one uh, reason that it might not be. Nevertheless, this is a stunning discovery, and it's a what's being lost. I think in all this back and forth of whether it is or isn't biblical Ziklag, is that the thing that nobody is denying is that we have. A Judean settlement, a Judean town in Kilbet, Kilbet Iray, or just this place where they've been excavating, close to the Philistine territories, close to Lech, biblical Lachish. We have a settlement from David's time. David, King David, King David who didn't exist. We have a town, regardless of whether it's Ziklag or not Ziklag, we have Davidic era pottery, Davidic era structures. On this, in this location, this again is is a city or a town on the frontier of David's kingdom. What the Bible says that David ruled over, and we have him or some some Jews or Israelites living there during this time. That's stunning in itself. I think that should be a lot of where the attention should lie, whether it's Ziklag or not. We have another city being unearthed with a habitation layer from King David's time, and the culture matches the culture of David's time from other sites. This is a big find because of that. It's adding to the weight of evidence that shows that David had a kingdom. Again, regardless or not of whether it's Ziklag. Now, Christopher Eames, our archaeological writer, he wrote on this uh, just as it was breaking, just as the story was breaking on Monday. And so we have an article up about it, and I'll link to this for sure. And I'm going to read through a little bit of it uh, right now just to whet your appetite about um, this discovery. I'll begin at the beginning. We have found biblical ziklag, declared a press release from Kiribati. Arai excavation team this morning. I'm sorry if I am butchering that. A massive archaeological effort has taken place at the site over the past three years, excavating through a square kilometer of the tell, or the mound, and providing evidence for what could be considered King David's first city. Ziklag is mentioned 15 times in the Bible and has a rather peculiar story. The Bible describes that the western city, okay, so if you talk about, um, you've got Jerusalem there, 
towards on the central highlands. And then if you go towards the coast and south, you're going to get to Philistine territory. And this is the place, the Shephelah, the lowlands, that, that, uh, where the Philistines and the Israelites duked it out for 50 or so years. And so um, this is the territory that the Bible refers to a lot, whether you're talking about David fighting Goliath or King Saul fighting the Philistines. This is the area in which this borderland or this battleground uh, took place, or these battles took place. Then it, he continues, Chris continues, David, who was on the run for Saul, from Saul, with 600 men, had become wary of being constantly on the move within the land of Israel. For over a decade he was doing that. He decided to take his men to the Philistine city of Gath, seeking refuge with King Achish. As the account describes in 1 Samuel 27 and 29, the Philistine king actually befriended David, seeing in him a fellow enemy of Israel, or at least an enemy of the Saulite regime. And he gave him a remarkable gift. And so this is the quote from the Bible from 1 Samuel 27 verse 5 and 6 that talk about Ziklag. And David said unto Achish, If I have found grace in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should they, uh, your servant, uh, dwell in the royal city with you? Then Ahish gave him Ziklag that day. Wherefore Ziklag pertains unto the kings of Judah unto this day. And so before David was anointed king, as Chris brings out here over Judah, the southern tribe of Judah... He was over this town. He had a dominion. And uh, this town was called Ziklag. And he would live in Ziklag until Saul's demise for a total of one year and four months. So up until this time, Ziklag, uh, while other people have said, this is, we've found Ziklag, we've found Ziklag, we've found Ziklag. There's been actually, I think, 12, uh, another 12 cities that people have said or ancient tells that this is biblical Ziklag. But none of those other cities that have been discovered up to this point quite fit the bill, as Chris, Chris, Chris uh, writes. He says this, finds at Kirbet Arai match with several elements of the biblical account of Ziklag. The city, located in what would have originally been Philistine territory, showed heavy Philistine evidence of Philistine settlement from the 12th to 11th centuries. So this period... Um, of the Philistine invasion into the land. This is where they took up shop. And basically, it looks like they, they lived here. The Philistines lived here on the same, same location. And he writes, Fines include foundation offerings set beneath buildings in order to bring good luck for their construction, massive stone structures, and general Philistine pottery discoveries that matched with the other excavated Philistine sites of Gath, Ekron, Ashkelon, and Ashdod. And so, we have in the layer below the Davidic period layer, we have the Philistines living there, in this town. He writes, Strangely, the remains of the Philistine settlement showed a smooth transition into evidence of rural Judean settlement. David, of course, is of the tribe of Judah. Judean it just means of that tribe. Dating to the early 10th century, the time of King David. And so there wasn't a massive war. There wasn't a big fight there wasn't uh, any type of destruction before you have a change of material culture in this location, uh, in this town. You have a smooth transition, which again, matches the Bible perfectly, right? This was a gift, a gift from the Philistines to David. And so that makes sense that you would have just had a tra transition, a smooth transition, transition rather than a destruction layer of sorts. 
He continues, discoveries belonging to this Judean settlement included nearly 100 complete vessels, identical to another early Davidic city, Kirbet Kaiapha, identified as biblical Shirim. He writes in brackets here, the parentheses, the similarity of these finds, of these sites, Kirbet al-Rai and Kirbet Kaiapha, can be well attested to, as they both as they were both excavated by professors Yossi Garfinkel of Hebrew University and Saar Ganor of the IAA, and carbon dated to the identical period. And like Kirbet Kaiapha, Kirbet Arai, or Ziklag, was a frontier city located atop a prominent hill near the border between the two nations of Israel and Philistia. So what is really just wonderful about this um, is that you have in uh, Kaiapha, as we've talked about before, a one period, basically a one-period site. You have people living there for a while, and then a huge space in time before the next people start excavating to start living there. And so you can be really specific, and if it's a small window, you can get a snapshot of that culture that existed um, just from that period. Because we always have this big debate, you know, what what material is from David's time? What pottery is from David's time? Again, pottery is how we determine or mostly determine the dates um, of an archaeological site from the different changing pottery types. But say if you have a location that is 300 years old or 300 years of continuous occupation. Somebody lived there for 300 years in this town. It's say it started with David and then people lived there for hundreds of years later. So... When it was founded, say, during David's time, you're going to have a certain style of pottery that's used. And then as time goes on, those pottery vessels would change and the pottery types would change. And so while you still would, say 300 years later, the thing's destroyed, you're going to have all these different styles together, mixed together in that destruction. And most likely, the Davidic period ones, they're going to be long gone anyway. Even if the site did start did start its occupation during David's time, you'll likely have the later vessels that are in that destruction layer. And so what that happens everywhere through, through, (laughs) through Israel, you have a continuous occupation. And then on the destruction layer, you find the stuff that was there when the building destroyed was destroyed. Just like if I lived in my great, 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 great grandmother's house, I'm not using the stuff from my great, 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 great grandmother. I'm using my stuff. I'm using my plates. I'm using my pots. I'm using my cups. I'm using my coins. I'm using all of my stuff. And so if it was destroyed, somebody came and burnt down my house, you're not going to find my grandmother's stuff. You're just going to find my stuff. Although that house was hundreds of years older than my, older than me, older than the stuff that was mainly there. And so how do we really know what is David's material culture unless we can find a site that only existed during David's time and then it was either uh, destroyed or people left? And so you just have the Davidic era culture. And so at Kaiapha, that's what you have. You have an occupation for a few decades, and then the site has lost its value, and nobody keeps living there. And so you just have a culture from around 1000 BC. And we're not going to go into showing that it's ethnically Kaiapha. That debate's been going on for 10 years. This was a Judean site, and anyone that doesn't believe it is has obviously someone's... Some, uh, they're out to get David. They, they've just got their own... Um, 
uh, biases that shouldn't even be they shouldn't even be brought to the discussion because the argument has been settled. This is a Judean site, Caiapha. Okay, but it is a single period site, and so finally we could say this pottery is David. This is from his era, and so we had one of those sites, just one, but now we have a second one because. Right during this Davidic era of time that David had this place in Kibbet Irai, the place wasn't abandoned, it was destroyed. I'll continue on from Chris's article here. It says this, It's during this period of Judean occupation that an intense fire destroyed the site. This too matches with the biblical account of Ziklag. While David and his men were drafted on an expedition with Achish, the Amalekites, quote, now from uh, Samuel 30, verse 1, had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire, taking the women and children captive. And upon David's return, as Chris writes, he and his men quickly routed the Amalekites, rescuing the captives. Evidence of the Amalekites has been elusive to archaeologists, unsurprising considering that they were desert nomads. However, discoveries such as this fire add evidence to their marauding presence. So let's not let's realize what happened here. We have Philistine culture come in. Then we have a smooth transition. No more no fire, no nothing, but we can tell we have different a different culture that moved in after the Philistines. And that culture matches perfectly another Davidic single period site. And then during the time that those people were there for a year and a half or whatever it was, they brought their own stuff and then there was a fire. And so we've got a snapshot now of a Davidic uh, settlement being destroyed. And so the pottery right there just belongs to David. We don't have to have a debate about this. We don't have to say, well, it might belong to David or not belong to David. It belongs to David's time. The carbon-14 samples, they back that up as well. It's around 1000 BC is when this Judean occupation existed in this location. And it gives us more proof... Uh, a greater wealth of evidence of the pottery types of King David. And so we can match that up with other sites throughout Judea now as well. And so I really don't want to get hooked up on whether or not this is Ziklag. It might not be. I think the evidence is definitely in its favor, apart from perhaps it's a little too far north, a few miles, maybe 10 miles further north of what we assume, uh, reading through the Bible of where it kind of should be further in the south. But everything else checks out. But let's not forget, let's not forget in this in this forest of the trees analogy that we have another single period biblical site from King David's time. I just want to jump now from Chris's article to another blog post. This is written, uh, who's this written by? Luke Chandler. He actually excavated... Uh, at at El Rai uh, here uh, a few few weeks ago, and he comes out and talks about what the press release said, its definition of being Ziklag or not. But just notice what he says. I mean, here's somebody that was there excavating the site. He says this quote, and he posted this on July 10th. I'll leave a link to this uh, site also. My most recent dig, Kerbet Arai, has just been proposed as the location of biblical Ziklag, a town linked with David shortly before he became king over Judah. I worked with this excavation for two weeks of its summer 2019 season. We were aware of the archaeologists' identification of the site, but naturally waited until they announced before posting anything publicly. Is it Ziklag? 
Some archaeologists have dismissed this proposal, while others are waiting for discussion to develop. Archaeology doesn't provide 100% certainty on these kinds of things, so we go with the weight of the current evidence. Numerous other sites have been proposed as Ziklag, most of which have been dismissed over time. Uh, then it talks about <clears throat> what we've covered a bit about the history from the Bible about Ziklag. He writes this, The stratigraphy lines up well, the layers line up well, with what we know of Ziklag from the biblical text. But there is at least one big question that lacks resolution. Here are some points to consider, he says. So I'm just quoting you from this, because this is somebody that excavated there, just so you can see um, that everything does check out, apart from one thing, but it checks out so far more than any other city uh, that's been proposed. Over the seven seasons, the team has uncovered two Philistine iron one strata from the 12th and 11th centuries. This is the time of the biblical judges, topped in some places by a different material culture from the late 11th and early 10th century, the time of David. This would be consistent with what we know of Ziklag. And so that's what I was discussing before, the two cultures. This late 11th, early 10th century stratum appears to be identical with Kirbet Kaiafer, a site linked with Judah that has re been radio radiometrically or carbon-14 dated to around 1000 BC, the time of biblical time of David. It's not just another Iron Age level. That's what needs to be understood. It's not just another Iron Age level. It dates specifically to David's time, which stands out from most other sites. Then he writes this, The Caiaphoresque stratum was destroyed and burned, which lines up with the events in 1 Samuel 30. The site has, has post-exilic construction that would fit Ziklag's mention in Nehemiah 11 as well, and so forth. So basically, again, he's drawing attention to this. This is not normal that we have just a single period, uh, a single let's say, a snapshot of this period from the 10th century, and yet uh, this new excavation site provides exactly that. And I guess you could come along and say, well, somebody else lived there <laughs> in this uh, tiny little window of time. Who else was it then, if it wasn't David? I mean, who else is living here right at this point between the Philistines and the Israelites? Who's going to live there? Who's going to be, come, as they're warring against each other, who's going to say, well, I've got a good idea. I'm not Philistine. I'm not Judean. I'm not Israelite. I'm going to come down and I'm going to live right in between these two warring factions. That wouldn't be a great idea. So obviously this is a Judean site. It matches, again, Caiapha, the material culture, which has been proven to be a Judean site. And so we have more evidence of King David's time coming up. So now we have a few sites from King David's time. We have the city of David in Jerusalem and the palace of David in Jerusalem. We have Tel Eton, which came out, I think, last year, saying it looks like they have uh, this this building was originally constructed during King David's time. We have Caiapha, of course. We also have the Tel Dan Stele from Tel Dan that proves that David was a historical ind individual. And so we know, we know looking at this now that we have... A lot of evidence being produced about or from King David's time. And so we are right now producing a book about the historical and archaeological evidence for King David. It's going to be uh, a book that anyone can read. I've read uh, a lot of books by archaeologists on this, top, uh, on this topic, or some books from archaeologists, let's put it that way. And it seems like there's always a disconnect from being able to, to bring the information to the general public. 
that's because I believe that they're they're so into their field, which is which is great, which is wonderful. They need to be, but then in some ways, it's good to have somebody that's a little bit more ignorant come along, and try and deliver it and package it in a way that it can be read and understood easily uh, by by everyday people that might not be so well versed in archaeology. Of course, upholding as best as we can the 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 accuracy, the scientific validity behind it, because that's the whole point. But at least put it in a way that it could be can be understood. And so, um, right now we are putting a, a book together on King David, and certainly this site will be mentioned in it, showing you the evidence that does exist right now, showing you the counter arguments as well, of course. But at least being able to provide a strong case to show that King David and King Solomon were historic personalities. They were real. There shouldn't be any type of question in your mind about whether David ruled over a kingdom or whether he was some guy that occupied and lived on a little hill in Jerusalem in the Central Highlands and couldn't marshal enough forces together to go and rout the Philistines or or build such uh, fortresses on the, end, uh, on the edge of the borderland between the two territories. What we're now finding throughout all Israel, or at least in the south, that we can pinpoint to David's time, we are finding structures, we are finding settlements, we are finding fortresses from King David's time. And this is interesting. I mean, right now, what is it, 2000 and 2019, this real debate, I guess, uh, at least in terms of archaeological evidence of King David, really did start getting attention back in 2005 with Dr. Elot Mazar coming out and saying that she has discovered King David's palace right in Jerusalem, right where the Bible says that he had, uh, where he ruled from. And what's more is she actually, to make that designation, to even start excavating, to start excavating, she said, this is where David's palace should be, right here, let's excavate. took her 10 years to get the funding, almost 10 years to get the funding, and for somebody to say, Okay, well let's let's check it out. Let's here's go for it. And so she started excavating, and what did she find within the first couple of weeks? Massive stones, massive walls from as she would later prove from King David's time. You can't prove it from the very top of them. You've got to get to the bottom. Find out what are they built on. And she did excavate it uh like no other, I think. And she found that it, it checks out scientifically as well. And it's interesting, at the time she made this these comments back in 2005, she said it would probably take about 10 years. 10 years for the academic community to come around to seeing that she's right, that this is a structure, a huge structure from King David's time, right in Jerusalem, matching the biblical description. And even, even now, there's obviously people that don't believe it is, but the academic community coming along, they are moving and they have moved towards her, her position. Because... You know, right when she discovered this, there were people, academics all over the world, coming out and saying, couldn't be. No, it was Hellenistic. It's from 800 years after. That was Israel Finkelstein's first, uh, one of his proposals. It wasn't from David's time. We've got a building from 300 uh, or 700 years later. Others come out and say it's a Persian period building. We were just at the city of David, I guess, a couple of weeks ago now. That's what one of the tour guides was saying as he was walking by. This is a Persian period building. <laughs> of course, uh, tour guides, they've got right to say whatever they want, I suppose. Um, most of the tour guides that tour the city of David do believe it's David's palace, or at least provide the evidence that it's David's palace. But there's still plenty that don't. 
Still plenty that don't, but all the evidence is firmly uh, inside that window of time of King David, and the geography matches up perfectly. Now, what is interesting about this site, Kibbet Iray, and what people are mentioning uh, in terms of whether or not it's Ziklag, is that the archaeologists, when they started to excavate this site, weren't looking for Ziklag. They didn't even, didn't even come up on their radar. They probably thought it was further south as well. And so, since they excavated and they weren't looking for it, and then they're putting the evidence together that it looks like it is Ziklag, because it matches up with most of what the Bible says about it, then people are like, well, maybe it is, because they didn't set out to find it. Because that's a big no-no in the archaeological world. Setting out to find something, or at least excavating with a theory in mind that it could possibly be that. Because for some reason, people absolutely hate that. They do not like that. When, if you look at Dr. Mazars, the way that she excavates or found King David's palace, that's exactly what she did. And everybody, or it seems a lot of people, don't like the fact that she found what she was looking for. She found what she was looking for. And so everyone comes out and says, well, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. She says that she was going to find it here. She finds it here. Can we really believe her? Okay, well, look at the evidence. Look at the evidence and see where it leads. But the academic world just hates the way that she went about it. But really, the way that she went about it is absolutely beautiful. <laughs> Understanding what biblical geography is all about led her to the designation that this is the vicinity in which David's palace should be. So what is she meant to do then when she actually finds a structure from King David's time in that exact location? Is she meant to repent and beg the, beg the scientific community for forgiveness? Is she meant to uh, kind of hide what she found? Or is she meant to come out truthfully and say, here's the final report. Here's the Davidic era pottery. Here's the stratigraphy which matches up, proving that it was from around David's time. And again, here's right where the Bible says that this is the location in which the palace should be. The way that she went about it is actually quite scientific. It's ingenious with the limited amount of funds that you have to excavate, to try and put position yourself to be in the best position to make a stunning discovery like this. I would say it's a great use of funds. I would say it's, it's very smart to consult the uh, historical documents uh, of the site in which you're, lo you're, you're excavating to try and get some foreknowledge about what you're going to find there. That can help you in an excavation for sure seems like that's a great scientific approach. And it's an approach that really does impress our editor-in-chief as well, Mr. Gerald Flurry. He just gave a program that we'll be putting on Watch Jerusalem soon about King David's palace and how it was discovered and the way in which Dr. Mazar discovered it. And I just want to play for you uh, the opening minute or two from that program, King David's palace has been discovered. Elot Mazar, Dr. Elot Mazar, has rocked the archaeological world in three spectacular ways that I'd like to discuss with you today. She has discovered just overwhelming evidence of David's palace in Jerusalem. In her archaeological digs, she has discovered David's palace and, and produced overwhelming evidence that it is David's palace. Then uh, oh, number two, Ten years ago, before uh, she was allowed to even uh, dig, she drew a map 
And on that map, she uh, pointed to them and put an arrow and pointed to it and said, It's there, it's there, that's where David's palace is, before she ever started digging, and wasn't able to prove that until ten years later. Ten years later, uh, she uh, was able to prove that, but she created her map from the Bible. And, and from the Bible, she knew where David's palace was, and she relied on that history. And almost nobody uh, believed her in the beginning, but more and more of them, uh, the authorities, are seeing that she is right, not only in that, with that uh, dig, but many others as well. But the third point is, she followed her map quickly and found this massive building, and, uh, and she had all kinds of massive evidence to prove that it really was David's palace. That's the introduction of our Editor-in-Chief's program on King David's Palace. It's coming out shortly, and you can listen to the whole thing. But it's just stunning when I just look at those, those points that he brought up. And that's exactly what the academic world hates. They hate the fact that she used the Bible and understood its geography and pinpointing a location of where the palace would be. If she came along, kept that to herself, didn't tell anybody, and then just excavated this random spot, and said after the fact, hey, I found a big building, and uh, it might be David's, I don't know. The academic community would love that. But how dare she treat the Bible as an accurate historical document that, per- that discusses accurate biblical geography, and use that to come up with this idea that this is where King David's palace should be. That's a no-no. <laughs> you shouldn't do that in the academic circles. And yet that's what she did. Now, should we fault her for that approach? Or should we congratulate her and thank her for the years of persistence that she put into actually excavating this in a very scientific manner, dealing with all the struggles that come along with excavating in the city of David? It's not easy. It's not easy at all. And that's why for the past 20 years, ever since Yigal Shalom's death, or 30 years, people have been scared to excavate in Jerusalem. It's too political, they say. Well, she just cares about excavating the history of ancient Israel, specifically in Jerusalem, no matter the difficulties that come along with it. Now, she doesn't want to fight anybody. She's tired of fighting. She'd rather not have to fight anybody. And she said the other day, I I don't fight people. I'm just not willing to give up. (laughs) That's one way of looking at it. I'm just not willing to give up on the importance of excavating Jerusalem, the need to do it and the need to put it together with the historical source that best describes Jerusalem, and that would be that would be the Bible. That's where we're going to end the program for today. Thank you very much for listening in all the way to the end. If you'd like to send some feedback or some other information along, uh, you can write your emails to letters at watchjerusalem.co.il. And if you haven't yet, please do subscribe to our new magazine coming up here, the first edition sometime in September. It's entitled Watch Jerusalem, just like the program, and it'll be featuring biblical archaeology and also news from the Middle East. 
And it's absolutely free to be sent to you wherever you are in the world. So please go ahead and avail yourself of that. The direct link for that to sign up for that is uh, watchjerusalem.co.il slash magazine. Or again, you can just forward an email along to me or write an email along to me with your name and address. And I can make sure that you're uh, in the system to receive that first issue when it comes out. Thanks again for listening to the program and we'll see you next week.